interesting. We've somehow managed to get to 10 episodes of this show. Um, really wasn't sure we were going to get here. <laughs> um, it's been a, a sporadic 10 episodes, but we've made it. So um, instead of talking about a specific beer style today, um, I thought I would celebrate 10 episodes by opening something a little celebratory, something um, which I have a, a great fondness for and something which um, falls somewhat outside of the parameters of this podcast format um, because it kind of uh, famously defies categorization into BJCP style guidelines or, or beer styles more generally. Um, so the beer is, of course, Orval. Um, let's crack it open. Um, this sort of super iconic Belgian ale coming in its uh, skittle-shaped bottle with its trademark glass, which I have happily got the, um, the Orval goblet or chalice, which I'm about to pour into. Just a beautiful beer to look at. Um, a sort of moussey head, off-white colour, beautiful, beautiful foam, beautiful bubbles. Yeah, smells incredible. Let's have a taste. Wow. Every time I have this, it um, never ceases to excite me and amaze me. I think it's um, just one of the best beers in the world. Um, the famous beer writer and critic Michael Jackson um, said it was yeah, a, a world classic of a beer. He described it as the perfect aperitif. If I could have this as an aperitif before every meal, I think I'd be doing well at life. Um, but it pours this beautiful, deep copper, amber colour, sort of almost opalescent, glowing from within, um, probably eight on the SRM scale if we wanted to pin a specific colour to it, um, with this beautiful rocky, frothy, off-white head um, that just looks stunning in this silver-lined chalice that Orval make. Um, they are a Trappist brewery, so often people, when um, pinning a style to this, if you say, what style of beer is Orval, they say, oh, it's a Trappist problem with that is Trappist is not really a style. Um, it's an appellation, um, much like Champagne or uh, Kulsch or, um, uh, yeah, Berliner Weiss, any of these kind of specific and uh, geographical things. Um, Trappist beer is actually an appellation, um, protected, and to qualify as an authentic Trappist product, it must be produced um, within the walls of a Trappist monastery, Trappist monks must be involved in the production process to some extent. So Orval ticks these boxes. Um, this specific beer is one of two that they make at Brasserie Orval, which is within the walls of uh, L'Abbé de Notre-Dame de Orval. 
um, Orval is, um, of course, Golden Valley. Gold is ore and Val is valley, so it's Golden Valley. And um, this beer, Orval, is kind of the, the production beer that they release commercially in, in bottles. Um, the other beer that they brew is um, Orval Vert or Orval Green, um, which is kind of a, a sessionable strength, 4.5% version, um, kind of falling into the tradition of a, an Engel beer or a Pater's beer, which is a beer brewed at a monastery for the monks to consume on a daily basis, lower alcohol, more of a, a sustenance beer, liquid bread. So um, uh, this is the production beer, the, the Orval Vert, the, the small Orval, the P Orval Petit. You can only really buy um, on draft at the cafe uh, near the abbey, so it's worth a pilgrimage just to try that special um, product. Um, not that this uh, glass of beer isn't special in its own right, it certainly is. It's just much more widely available. Um, so this, the production Orval, is 6.2%. It was actually only first brewed in 1931, so fairly recent, but brewing at the site of L'Abbé de Notre-Dame d'Orval dates back to the 16th century at least, probably the early 1500s. Um, so certainly we've got half a millennium of brewing on that site. Uh, they have hop fields nearby. Um, it's in the Guam region of, of Belgium, so very much known for brewing, and um, brewing was just done there as a matter of course in, in most abbeys and most households. Um, so for me, if I had to try and categorize this beer into a particular style, um, for me this is kind of a, an amber saison. My, my best shout for this would be a, an amber saison super, or saison normal, uh, given that it's got 6.2% alcohol, it kind of tr treads that line between a normal and a super saison. Um, but it, it has a lot of the characteristics of a saison. It has some wild yeast, um, uh, kind of a flavor impact. It has a sort of rustic uh, nature to it. Um, it's quite bitter, it's quite hoppy, like a lot of saisons tend to be. It's very refreshing, it's very dry, it's very highly carbonated. So it ticks a lot of those saison boxes for me. Um, you could also argue that this is a beer de garde, that kind of northern French um, Department du Nord style of um, a stored, aged beer, beer de garde, is beer of storage, beer of aging, beer of kept. Um, so it is a kept beer, it is bottle aged, it is re-fermented in the bottle, it's stored at the brewery for... Um, a couple of months before it's released to the public, so it it does kind of tick some boxes there as well. Uh, for me, just the the focus on hops and brightness and acidity and bitterness, and um, put it more into the camp of saison than beer de garde for me. But I'd love to hear what you think. If you think it's a different style, if you agree or disagree, please do let me know. Um, pop a comment, fire me a message on Instagram, send an email to beerinteresting at gmail dot com. Let me know what you think Orval is for me. Just an amber saison feels right. Um, so in terms of how this is made, it's um, brewed with uh, Pilsner malt and, and Vienna malt, continental malts. The Vienna gives that sort of nice orange-amber colour. Um, the Pilsner provides nice sugars. There's also some candy sugar syrup added, so this sort of Belgian uh, sugar syrup to give alcohol while reducing body and creating dryness. Adding to that incredible refreshment. The beer is hopped with three different hops um, from France, from Germany, and from Slovenia. Um, so the German uh, Hellertau hop from the 
Hellertauer region of Bavaria is used. Uh, Orval have hired German brewers to brew this in the past, so I think the influence comes from there. Um, it also has the lovely uh, sort of aromatic Strisselspalt from Alsace in France, um, a really beautiful French aroma hop. And it also uses Styrian Golding from Slovenia. Some people say East Kent Golding from Kent, but I think the uh, Styrian Golding from Slovenia is more likely. So we have this beautiful trio of uh, sort of aromatic continental hops, um, one of which is a noble hop, giving this beautiful floral, perfumey character. The Strissel Spalt lending a little bit more kind of um, marmalade and an orange pith um, with a little pepperiness. And then the Asterian Golding giving this kind of woodsy, herbal, grassy character. So a, a really great trifecta of hops there. Um, the beer's fermented quite hot to give a, a sort of peppery, phenolic character. Um, and it's actually then aged for three weeks in horizontal tanks so these sort of horizontal lagering tanks really great for clarification and natural fining um, they allow the uh, beer to, to lager at 15 degrees for for a couple of weeks um, under low hydrostatic pressure so unlike an upright vertical tank a cylindroconical tank these um, horizontal conditioning tanks uh, put less kind of gravitational pressure on the beer the yeast is less stressed and produces kind of nicer fruity ester compounds in the secondary fermentation and at this stage the beer is actually dry hopped uh, in these conditioning tanks um, so big sort of mesh sacks of uh, whole leaf hops are added um, to give this sort of beautiful floral dry hop character um, Orval on their website actually described this as the English process of dry hopping quite humorously we think of dry hopping as being a very American craft beer phenomenon of course but um, it does date back to um, to England um, English October ales and uh, Burton Pale Ale and um, you know sort of all those proto IPAs um, round about the turn of the 19th century certainly the late 1700s um, even as early as 1760 possibly, were um, definitely being dry hopped. Uh, the beers were being racked into wooden casks on large quantities of whole leaf hops, or uh, barrels were plugged with hop plugs as well as a kind of preservative measure. Um, so it certainly is an English approach in some manner, um, and Orval tipped their hat to that on their website, which is kind of slightly quaint, but um, really nice as well. Um, so dry hopped in these horizontal tanks for three weeks and the beer is actually conditioned with uh, Britannomyces, so a wild yeast strain. Um, we associate Britannomyces mostly, I think, with lambic beers, with uh, that sort of uh, wild uh, ale tradition of the Seine Valley, um, or with modern mixed fermentation beers, your uh, Crooked Staves, your um, Jolly Pumpkins, your Jester Kings, um, I mean, Britannomyces has been used in beer since those early English ales. It was first discovered, first um, separated out of beer as a, as a culture of yeast um, in the early 19th century by people like Hansen and Meyer and Louis Pasteur. Um, and it was dubbed Britannomyces because that's actually Greek for a British fungus um, because it, it was discovered in those barrels of English ale. Um, so when it when it ferments out without any bacterial influence, it's actually quite a clean yeast. It produces very nice esters. Um, it creates lots of sort of interesting fruit basket notes. It can take 
the slightly cheesy funk of old hops, that isovaleric acid, and it kind of sterify that into beautiful ethyl isovalerate, giving this beautiful kind of fresh pineapple note. It creates lovely sort of citrusy um, ester notes. Um, it, it biotransforms hop oils and essential oils like uh, limonene, linalool, geraniol, transforms those into beautifully bright and tropical uh, fruit notes. So it's a really uh, incredible yeast. It ferments very highly. It attenuates very well. It reduces sugar. Um, so with enough time in bottle, uh, the, the residual Botanomyces this beer is bottled with will um, dry out the beer to an incredible degree. To to this uh, extent, Orval can be enjoyed fresh um, with lots of hop character and some residual sugar and, and really focusing on the kind of bright hop character. Or uh, this beer can be enjoyed after some years in bottle. The beer will dry out more. You'll get a little bit more funk developing from the Britannomyces continuing to ferment. Certainly more dryness and, and spritziness and higher carbonation. And the hops will start to fade back into the background below that kind of slightly caramelly, biscuity Vienna malt. Um, the particular bottle I'm drinking is from December uh, 2019. I almost said 1919. That would be incredible since it was before the beer was invented. Um, but yeah, December 2019, so there's some age on this beer. It's just treading that line where the hops are fading away and the Britannomyces is starting to take centre stage. That sort of super dry, spritzy yeast character, a little bit of funk, a little sort of light hay on the nose, dried hay, a little barnyardy sort of earthiness. And then the palate is just so dry, completely bereft of any residual sweetness. Um, it almost amplifies the remaining hop bitterness to an extent. It's kind of hard to draw the line between where the bitter hops end and where the dryness from the yeast begins, but the overall perception of it is just this incredibly refreshing, um, but also very, very complex uh, picture of a beer. If you've never tried one, I implore you, track one down, give it a go. So once we've had this secondary fermentation, three weeks in horizontal lagering tanks, 15 degrees C with fresh dry hop and Britannomyces yeast. The beer is packaged into these sort of trademark skittle-shaped bottles. Um, these sort of um, bulbous bottles um, help retain sediment and yeast when you're pouring, but they can also um, take very, very high pressures, which is good because this beer is very, very well carbonated. Um, and when it's primed and bottled with more sugar and more yeast, they're actually using Britannomyces in bottle to condition the beer, to carbonate the beer. So it will ferment out all the sugar and it will create a lot of carbonation in the bottle, sometimes up to four, even five volumes of CO2. So about double the carbonation level of your standard craft IPA, pale ale, lager, whatever. Um, so really, really well carbonated, really high condition beers in bottle. They age the bottles at the brewery for three to five weeks. Um, so kind of over a month of, of bottle conditioning at the brewery before they're released commercially. And they go through a lot of quality control checks to make sure no bottles are going to explode, to make sure everything's as stable as it can be. And they've really dialed in that process at Brasserie Orval. Very, very impressive stuff. Um, and I think these, these beers really do um, have great uh, sort of uh, consistency and continuity of flavour throughout batches and, and throughout bottles, no matter where you're trying them in the world, they always have that very distinctive Orval flavour. 
to get back to that sediment then, that residual yeast from the bottle conditioning process. Orval suggests that you pour very carefully, leaving a centimetre in the bottle uh, in the bottle to, to taste separately. Quite unusual. They actually recommend that you um, taste the yeast separately. It's quite high in vitamin B. It's very pungent in flavour. The cell walls of the yeast actually absorb bitter acids from the hops. Um, they're like a sponge in that sense. So the yeast can be very bitter. Um, if it's an older bottle, the yeast will have started to break down this sort of autolysis process, releasing protein. So it can have a sort of umami, um, almost soy sauce character. Uh, so depending on the age of the bottle, the yeast will have a very particular flavour. Um, it's somewhat of an acquired taste. You can absolutely pour it in, add it to your beer, and, and it'll sort of turn the Orval a bit more hazy and it'll give it a bit more body and a bit more complexity. For some people, it clouds the flavour profile of the beer too much. It takes away from the hot profile, from the, the delicate nuance of the Britannomyces and the esters that that's created, the light pepperiness as well, the sort of nutmeg spice from the phenolic compounds. So depending how you want to enjoy your Orval, um, you're welcome to any way you like. Uh, but the hard line from Orval themselves is pour carefully, pour the beer bright, retaining the yeast in the bottle, and then taste that separately. Um, so quite a cool little approach there. Uh, not uncommon in Belgium, really. Some breweries like uh, De Konink and Antwerp will actually give samples of their yeast alongside their beer. Um, I believe if you go to the Pilgrim Cafe across the road from De Koenig, you can have a De Koenig pail with a fresh bucket of yeast delivered that day from the brewery. So a very specific tradition there, um, quite uncommon in the UK. Um, but yeah, that's that's Orval's approach, so more power to them for that. If we talk a little bit then about the um, beer pairing with this very specific, very unique beer, almost uncategorizable as a style, Orval is just Orval. Uh, what food do you have with it? Uh, what's fantastic about this beer because of the Britannomyces, that sort of wild yeast um, influence, because of the dryness, the carbonation, and um, because of the complexity of the three hops and the dry hopping process and the long aging, um, it is very complex, but it's still very refreshing. And that makes it a very, very versatile beer to have with food. As Michael Jackson said, it makes a great aperitif. It's spritzy, it's light, it's peppery, it's fruity, almost like a champagne in some sense. So I think it does work very well with hors d'oeuvre. You could have it with um, sort of cheese, you could have it with crackers, you could have it certainly with dried meats, with something like an Iberico jamón, with something like prosciutto, which has that sort of earthiness. Um, any sort of spiced sausage, if you have it with something a bit more aniseedy, a bit of fennel character, like a salsiccia, I think um, it really pulls out earthiness and herbalness from those hops that the beer's been infused with, um, whilst the saltiness and the fattiness of the meat is kind of cut through by that brilliant bitterness, dryness, and the high carbonation, acts as a, as a fabulous palate cleanser. Um, with cheeses, I would go with something like an aged Gouda, I think it would be fabulous with something Swiss with a sort of milky nuttiness like a Gruyere. Um, I think that would be delicious. A Rue Blanchant. It would certainly stand up very well to something pungent and salty like a, a Roquefort um, or any kind of blue cheese. It has the intensity of flavour to stand up to that. So again, really, really versatile with the whole cheese board. Um, there are very few things that, that won't work with um, an Orval. 
in terms of main dishes, um, Belgian stuff will, of course, work really well. A traditional Belgian stew um, would just be a delight. Um, equally, fish courses, it has a sort of lemoniness, um, the sort of citrus of the continental hops with some of the uh, ester from the Britannomyces gives almost this slightly funky uh, preserved lemon, like a, a North African preserved lemon flavour in the beer. Um, and I think that makes it just fabulous with any kind of salty fish with scallops, absolutely, with most shellfish. Oysters and Orval is um, a combo made in heaven. Um, if you have something like uh, a scallops with bacon and garden peas with lemon zest, I think that would go beautifully. Um, what's really interesting as well is um, this beer can work even with desserts. Um, it has this sort of contrasting relationship, the, the dryness, the acidity, the brightness of the beer um, against certain sweet desserts, something like a sabayon or a, a zabayone, this sort of uh, Italian sweet egg custard dessert. Um, I have seen that served with uh, lemon zest and a sort of brulee uh, caramelized pineapple on top. Um, and I think that just brings so much joyful fruit character out of the Orval, really heightens the esters from the yeast. Um, the, the bitterness of the hops, as well as the really spritzy carbonation, kind of cut throughs the, the cloying sweetness and the richness of the egg in the custard. Uh, so you have so many kind of layers of, of flavor resonance, bridging flavors, um, cutting power from the beer, kind of refreshing the palate, um, as well as that sort of contrast that kind of turns both elements up to 11. You get the maximum flavor from both dishes um, purely on the basis of, of the difference between them, um, which I think is a, re a really fun, really interesting way to approach it. Um, I'm going to keep this short because I, I just want to go and sit and enjoy the rest of the Orval uh, very selfishly. Hopefully you find that interesting. Um, a fabulous brewery from a great Trappist monastery, um, great history, a wonderful beer, pretty unique but an absolute all-time uh, world classic um, enjoyed the world over uh, fabulous with most foods um, for various reasons and I could talk all day but I'll, I'll restrain myself um, just grab yourself an Orval if you can drink it out of an Orval glass all the better um, that's, that's how it's intended to be enjoyed um, but yeah just uh, a real celebration um, one of my all-time favourite beers so a perfect way to cap off 10 episodes of Beery Interesting. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed. If you do have any requests for future beer chats, ping me an email, beeryinteresting at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please do uh, leave us a review. Um, it's really helpful. Um, it's really good for my, my fragile ego, but it also helps the podcast um, find its way into the hands of, of more people that might enjoy it if you've left a rating and a review. So um, your, your kind words would be very much appreciated. Uh, give me a follow on Instagram, Paddy Gardner. It's mostly just me posting photos of beer um, and chatting about beer. So um, hopefully that's up your street and I'll hopefully see you next time. Thanks and bye. Show, 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 show